Greetings, one and all. What's up? It is the CBC Wisdom Hour, number 159 for November 30th, 2021. I'm Steve Witchell in New Orleans. What's up, CBC World? Tony B here, coming to you live from New Jersey. Yes, sir. Welcome, one and all. If you're watching here live, come on in and say hello, and we will read your comments and acknowledge you right here live on the Wisdom Hour. Tell us where you're from, too. And anything else that's on your mind that's going on. And today's episode, by the way, is sponsored by bandhelper.com. Go check out bandhelper. I'll tell you a little bit more about bandhelper in a little bit. Um, but the link is in the description for them. Bandhelper. Yes. Julie's hopped right in. She said, hi, guys. What's up, Julie? And she's in Iowa. Um, also, we are streaming live right now on the Facebook Cover Band Central page in the Facebook Cover Band Central group and on the Facebook cover band central youtube channel please subscribe to the youtube channel the link is in the description for that click on that link and go ahead and hit the subscribe button so you can check out all of our content and you'll know when we go live yeah you want to be notified about that you don't want to miss anything because you never know when we're going to go live you never know you never know steve um and happy holidays to one and all hope everybody had a thank great thanksgiving how was yours i saw pictures of your thanksgiving my thanksgiving was great it was uh it was it was very busy, you know. Boys were home from college, and um, you know, small gathering. It was Karen and uh, Karen's sister, and my nephew, and my two boys, and my youngest son Cole's girlfriend, myself, and Karen, and uh, Karen's mom came up. So it was very nice. It was a great day, you know. Got to see everybody, hang out. Um, very thankful for everything, you know. Just a day of gratitude. And then Friday went out and got went chopped down a Christmas tree. I saw pictures of that too. I'm so jealous of that because I used to do that when I was a kid. Yep. Go out into the sticks and and cut down our own tree, kind of like the Christmas vacation thing where there's <laughs> yeah, exactly it's all snowy and yeah. Well, it was funny too because it was actually it was nice when we went there, and then as we were there, it like bl- a blustery squall of snow came in very quickly and then left. So it was like snowing for maybe like three minutes and then it moved on. So that was pretty cool. And then I uh, got the tree home and then Saturday we, we put it up and, and I put it up on Friday, let it rest, you know, and open up and everything. And then Saturday we decorated it. So we had put Christmas music on and had some cocktails and decorated the tree and Karen did the lights outside on Sunday. I installed the sliding glass door in my studio. So it was a very busy, active time. Excellent. But nonetheless, really good. And how about you, my friend? How was your Thanksgiving? Zeb, Zeb hi. Is, greetings, uh, Zeb. Says greetings. Um, it was good. I, I, you know, I'm by myself here, and but I make, I always make a full Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> you do for yourself. I made a 20-pound turkey. <laughs> wow. Sweet potatoes, stuffing, uh, uh, green bean casserole, artichoke pie, biscuits, cranberry sauce. Wow, you're quite the chef there, Steve. I didn't know. I that love you. You, you. That's pretty impressive. I love to cook. It's one of my favorite things to do. I can um, make tacos, and I'm good at it. You can make tacos, yeah, and eggs. <laughs> I, I'm real good at making eggs and Taylor ham and cheese and stuff like that. But cool. I'm not. I'm not much of a cook though. I'm. I'm a pretty good cook, and that's. It's good because uh, it saves me money, and and yeah, for sure. Because I'm sure you're. Hey, there's Marianne from Ireland, Ireland checking yes. in. And I'm sure with a 20 pound turkey, 
you've had leftovers for the entire. I night. have eaten the same exact dinner yeah. since Thursday every night. Yeah. Well, you and know, it's, it's funny. Yeah. Same thing here because we made so much food that when we were done, because, you know, you got to understand. So Chase will eat, you know, a giant thing of stuffing by himself if he can. You know, he'll, he's like an eating machine. So mm-hmm. Karen made five bags of stuffing, which was 90 servings. Wow. Okay. 90 servings, but a serving is a half a cup. So a serving is, you know, a reasonably smaller portion. So 45 had, cups of stuffing. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, no, half a cup is a serving. So yeah, 90 cups, right? So 45 cups. So then we had plenty of leftovers, which was nice. Everyone could take stuff home. And then we ate Thanksgiving dinner, you know, Wednesday, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then it was gone, you know? Oh, my, yeah, mine will last for, for a very long time because only yeah. me. So I've been eating a right. turkey sandwich every day, and yeah. I have my little Thanksgiving dinner every night. And I'm going to make turkey soup soon. <laughs> I love it. I, but it's it's so tasty, and it's so good. Uh, it's so good for you, too. So uh, eating it every day, I don't get tired of it because it tastes so good. But then I did – I always – Thursday night, I always hang up my outdoor lights. Yeah. And so I did that. And then I put up my tree yesterday. Nice. Um so I'm all Christmas ready, ready I for saw Christmas. A guy today driving a pickup truck with a giant Christmas tree in the back on a stand upright with guy wires to the four corners of the bed to keep it upright, fully uh-huh. lit. And then all the running lights on his truck were were blue and, and red, uh green and red. Oh, that's neat. Yes, yeah, so he was driving around with like a full blown Christmas display. Pretty cool. Very cool. I saw him on the side street. I didn't see him on the highway, so I don't know how that thing fares, you know, at 70, 80 miles an hour, but it looked pretty good parked. Okay. He pronounced Sebi and Haya. Sebi and Haya. Sebi and Haya. All right. That, that's his name. Zebi and Haya. He, he helped us pronounce it there. Um, that's good. So, yeah, so the big deal was, and we were just talking about this before, uh, was uh, – Get Back premiered on Thanksgiving uh, Thanksgiving night or Thanksgiving Eve, I guess, on Disney Plus, and and I, I I had messaged Tony and asked him to to watch it. He said he didn't have Disney Plus, so he didn't get to see it. But we'll talk about it a little bit anyway because it's it's everybody's talking about it, and it's I watched um, two. There's three episodes. They're each about two and a half hours. One is a little longer than two and a half hours, and I've watched the first two and I started watching the third one and I got about halfway through it. So I have a little bit more to go. Um, uh, oh, okay. Donna is says good late afternoon to, uh, guys. It's five Oh seven PM in flooded British Columbia, Canada. Hmm. Uh, time difference. Uh, so you're in Pacific time basically. And we, I am in central time and Tony is in Eastern time. Yeah, so, so I'm closer to Canada than you are, and it's 8.07 here. Right, so but three, British, Columbia, three British Columbia, yeah, British Columbia, Canada is Western Canada. Yeah, it's down by, like, Alaska end. Yes, correct. Um, so. But I'm still closer, Steve. Trajectory-wise. Uh, yeah, I guess. Miles-wise, yeah, so, I guess you are. You know, potentially. Um, but yeah, so, so three, three hours. She's three hours behind us. Yeah. Four, four hours behind you. Right. So Get Back is, since you don't really know anything about it, um, is a, a Beatles documentary, and it's um, 
was filmed in January of 1969 and originally intended to be a uh, TV special. And they were going to do a, a live show at the end. And they were going into the studio and recording all live rather than doing any over, overdubs or any multi-tracking type of things. Like just all live. All live at the same time. Just run all down live the, the same time. Vocals, everything. Yeah. And um, yes, we're back to playing here. Um, uh, I, um, you know, Tony's been playing. I've been playing here and there, and I'll talk about that in a minute. In a minute. Yeah, we'll too. get to we'll get to playing. Yes. Um, and this, so they they didn't end up doing that TV special, and they ended up doing the roof, the famous rooftop concert in London, which was the last time the Beatles played live. Uh, that's something that we all know and this footage ended up being actually used for the movie let it be which i never saw i and did you did okay and it's not uh it's not available now but they're going to be re-releasing -re let it be as well did, what do you remember about let it be not a lot it was a long time ago when i saw it okay I would well love this to see is it again yeah, so this was uh, directed by Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings, of Lord of the Rings fame. And he restored about 60 hours of footage that was, because they, they filmed this whole process of the Beatles going into this studio every day and uh, whittled it down from 60 hours to about between eight and nine hours. Of, and what of happened to those special. live recordings? The ones huh? that they're in the documentary, the, the ones they recorded live in, you know, yeah, it's they kind of tell you that during the documentary, some of it ended up actually on subsequent albums, which was Abbey Road was the next album, and then Let It Be was the final album. Um, and so Peter Jackson restored all this. It looks phenomenal. It looks like it was shot in HD. He did an, an amazing job restoring this footage. Amazing technology that they can do that. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's a fascinating documentary i encourage anybody who's in a band to watch this um some have described it as tedious to watch and um jamie's in wichita sorry gotta acknowledge those people coming in yeah um it's they start in a twickerham i think it is it's a movie studio and it's very big and they, they they start there and they're just they just come in and they sit around and they're coming in with song ideas you know trying to 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 write some new material and that that's the first the first part of this is is that and they they're they say often in there like it doesn't sound good in here the acoustics aren't good it's a very big room it's like a warehouse um so it's, it wasn't really ideal for a band to record and to go in and play because it just didn't sound good to them. But however, they, they'd still get rolling. And most it's it's referred to as, as tedious by a lot of people because most of it is boring. It's just them sitting around, twiddling around, goofing off, um, you know, chit-chatting, smoking cigarettes constantly. I mean, it's crazy how much these guys smoked. Every one of them, every like every band well, member. Well, well, that's why every... if you listen to a lot, like if you listen to um, like a Twist and Shout, you uh -huh. know, I, I read I read an article where 
you know, and Lennon sings on Lennon sings that, right? And he was like had a fever and he was sick and like you said, smoking all the butts. But when you if you listen to like an isolated vocal track, it's very rough. It's not like a polished, pristine vocal by any means, you know? It's like a down and dirty, raspy kind oh, of yeah. just like ah, you know. Yeah. Uh Marion said she can't say wait to see it. Uh you'll love it. Um and like Larry said, not tedious to watch if you're a songwriter or a collaborative musician. And that's yeah. why I say every exactly. musician should watch this because you kind of get you you can relate to it for one. If you've been in a band and if you've ever had to go into the studio for days on end or or in a rehearsal room, even just for days on end, you'll relate to this. Because a lot of it is just them goofing around on their instruments, not really working, just just What's well, you know, it's out? funny because when we recorded the first Die of the Storm album, we were in the studio for probably a month, you know, because one of the band members worked at a recording studio in New York City. So whenever there was a cancellation, we would have time, you know, so we would bring our stuff in or we would set up or we'd he'd say, hey, you know, like we went in one, we recorded one year uh, from Christmas, you know, the day before Christmas Eve until New Year's. The studio was like closed. So the guy was like, if you guys want to use it, you can, you can use it for free. It was right. a place D&D recording in, in Manhattan. And, right. you know, the room was like $250 an hour. And we had, you know, <laughs> a, a week and a half of time to, you know, to play. But I right. can relate to that, what you're saying, because while I'm in there cutting tracks, there's a couple of guys in the room. But the other guys, like you said, are in, in the lounge or they're hanging out or they're they're doing something. So there's a lot of downtime, you know, if you're not the one that's recording your part if you're doing a multi-track multi-take you know where everyone's recording their part individually and of right. course drums would go first you know what i mean and we right. would always do bass and drums live and and record that take you know so you get the feel then the sure. guys could put their stuff back on top of it and f strangely enough we did record songs in a variety of ways like we did try to do the live thing where everyone played at once together right and i think one song might have made it onto the album that way and then one of the songs they made on the album was me playing by myself to a click because I knew the song so well. And, and I just said, you know what, let me just do it by myself. You know, right. like I just, I don't need a scratch track or nothing. Just give me a click and then count me in and we'll go. And that was the keeper track. And then the guys, you know, because again, having free time, not everyone was available. So I happened to be there at this, you know, and no one else was there. So I said to the engineer, Sky Artie, um, Artie Oganayan, who's a famous producer now, but back right. in 1989, you know, he was a fledgling, you know, uh, aspiring uh, engineer, you know, and right. we, we recorded that album. So it, it can be tedious, you know, when you're not the one that's doing the recording. So I could right. see how that could be. A lot yeah, but in this case, in this case, they're not they're not tracking individually. They were tracking. They were all playing recording stuff mm -hmm. together. So it's just it, it's just tedious and for a non-musician to just like like you think you're going to come in and watch oh my god it's the beatles you know they're they're like they're going to create this magic in the studio and blah 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 yeah. and and you watch it and you're like if you're a non-musician you're watching you're like all right let's get to it let's get to it let's get to it you know because they just they'll start a song and then they stop you know or like <laughs> there's there's oftentimes where where they're out of tune and there's they're just playing through the song anyway but there's a lot of things that struck me about this, and and I want to kind of talk about that. Hey, but, but you're uh, a fly on the wall watching that. It's a it's a very much a fly on the wall experience, and it's it, it's it's wild. Stacy's in uh, way way up state. All right. Eric was coughing while he was watching it, but he was also smoking a blunt. So blunt. Yeah, so get back there. You know um, that happens like, in the studio sometimes too. Like Al said, not boring at all. And 
And Eric said, it's a hundred percent things that happen while songwriting. And that's, that's what it was. It was, you know, these guys really trying to come up with songs, but they end up like jamming on covers, you know, just like, and there's no real structure to it. You know, John, like Lennon will just start playing and start singing and then everybody kind of joins in and they don't necessarily even finish the song that they're playing. They're just like jamming, jamming. But, but coming up with the, um, the material that's the thing that when you watch it you're like holy moly this is incredible um because you're seeing songs that are being born that you're very very familiar with yeah you're seeing the creative the the, the moment of creation there the creative and, you know, that, process that, that, that's so striking to me because you know back in my early 20s when we were record right you know and, and we would original music we would be like rehearse the songs to death and have them polished. So when you got to the studio, you just played your part, you know what I mean? To the best of your ability. And right. then I remember years later, like reading an article about dream theater where they would go into the studio with no songs, just ideas. And right. they would write and they would create the songs like on the spot. And when you listen to dream theaters music, it's like, it's an, you know, it's how orchestrated it is. It really makes you, you know, think about like how, awesome that is that that creative process is able to develop that way because it's so complex what they do but that's so organic how they created it and then later on down the road we would do you know to, to experiment you know we would say the same thing like on the third album we would say hey guys let's go into the studio with the songs like 75 percent done you know and then we'll finish them while we're there and we'll right. see what happens but we never actually wrote but you know what's amazing too about the beatles when I in Malcolm Gladwell's book Outliers, he talks about you have to be ten thousand hours to be considered an expert at something, right? If right. you've done something, we've talked about this in the past, you know. Right. But there's a part in his book where he actually talks about the Beatles, where I can't recall when it was or or where they went, but before they hit the road, so to speak, or before they be, you know became before they came out into public, they played for like two years, seven days a week and almost had achieved 10,000 hours of playing together yeah. before the world was, ex you know, before they exposed themselves to the world, so to speak. Yeah. So yeah, that might be an exaggeration, but uh, no, I no, mean, but what so you're saying is, is like the same thing when you go into the studio and you've, and you're, you're as a band, you've played thousands of hours together. Right. Yeah. So, very comfortable, you know? yeah. So they, they're clearly very comfortable with each other. There, there's a lot of goofing around, especially Lennon. Like John Lennon seems to be the one that's taking it the least seriously when, right. when they're in there. And he's got, there's the whole Yoko thing that everybody talks about, like Yoko broke up the band and Yoko's there the whole time. Um, and she's sitting right next to Lennon, like all the time, like really right next to him. But she doesn't, she doesn't say anything. She doesn't distract by any and any by any means. She she's just sitting there reading or or knitting, and, and you know she's there. But she's and, not giving any input or her opinion. On nothing. Anything. No. Right. No. And there's a couple scenes where she's doing this shrieking thing, and everybody's jamming and making noise, and it's very hard to listen to. But but the, the guys seem like they're having fun too when they're doing it. Um, and Lennon also never. It barely is acknowledging her while he's sitting there with his guitar. You know, he doesn't like, he doesn't look at her. He doesn't talk to her. He doesn't kiss her like barely at all. Um, so 
No distraction, you know, man. He's focused. Yeah. So, well, no, he just doesn't give a shit, really, it seems, in Lennon, in the, the whole thing. He's just, maybe he's focused on the, the band and shit. Yeah. But, you know, he's. Well, I'm saying he's, he's there to create music, not to hang out with his girlfriend at the time. Right. So right. he's there, but he's, his attention is elsewhere. Right. But, but the magic of this is it of watching this is seeing that creative process. And like I was just saying, like you're hearing songs that you're being born that you, that you know, and you hear them, you watch see them trying to figure out what the words should be, you know, and like, uh, get back is, is one like, like on the back. spot like on the spot. You mean, yeah, they're trying to figure it out. And, and you're like shouting at the screen. You're like, no guys, it's this. <laughs> Cause yeah. you know what it is. And, and Eric says this, Howard Stern was saying, he was yelling the words to something at the screen and I heard Howard Howard's broadcast about this too. Um, and yeah, and I was kind of doing the same thing. Um, uh, yeah. All right. So yeah, it was their creative process. Elias said, and, um, so seeing get back for one, that's the first one you kind of really see develop and it's just, and it's when they're still at Twick, Twick and, Twickerham, Twickenham, something like that. Um, and it's just Paul's got his Hofner bass, and he's strumming on it like a, like it's a guitar. And he's strumming an A, and he's going. You know, and he's just, he's not really seeing words. He's kind of scatting, but he's coming up with that melody. And then he's like, you know, he, it just becomes born right there where he's like he's just get, the, get back he just comes up with get back get back to what he wanted to you know and that's the way he does it and and then it turns into a song he just keeps working on it and it reminded me of of the eagles documentary um the 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 history of the eagles where glenn fry talks about songwriting and he thinks it's like this some magic thing and he discovers from hearing jackson brown um downstairs or upstairs from him where he lived in LA right. yeah. that, that no, it just takes work. It's just hard work. It's doing it over and over again. And so you see this process with the Beatles. Cause you think the Beatles are just going to come in and like, wow, here's this magic song and here it is. But no, it's work. It's like doing the same thing over and over again, trying to find the right words. Um, you know, other people coming up with ideas and, and it's, it's, it's amazing to watch it. And, uh, one of the things that struck me too is that they're not nervous. You know, a lot of times bands will go into the studio and, you know, as, as, long as, as soon as you hit record, that red light's on, you get all kind of tense up. These guys are completely the opposite. They're just like goofing around. They don't care. And that's know, why it's, it's, it's so good. Right. Because think about it. When, like when I used to teach Twickenham, me, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Students would say to me, you know, yeah. I can play so like I can play the, a great drum solo or I can play the, the song in my basement, like perfect. Like I can flip sticks and I'm confident and it's relaxed. And then as soon as I get out in the crowd and it's live, I'm not so confident or, you know, outlandish. And like you said, when you're in the studio, you know, you have to get out of that mindset of like, Oh man, I'm laying down my track now and it's going to be like memorialized, you know? So I got to make sure I play it good. You know, it's right, like, right. no, what happens is like, you just want to be, and again, I can speak from my own experience where we were running out of time and it was like, hey, just let's just run through this song real quick and just see if we can get a, a keeper track and not caring because it doesn't matter. Right. Because it's an extra song. And in one take, having the magic, you know, having top, top to bottom, 
track done, you know, fully as as great as I could have played it. You know what I mean? Like no pressure, not worried about the light being on, like just don't care. Right. Because it's, right. If, if we get it, we get it. If we don't, we don't, because we only got 10 minutes left. So let's just try to get something and right. just doing one pass and being like, dude, done. Perfect. You know, t- whatever. Tricking. So like you sure. said, perfect, Tricking. you know, example of that. Yeah, Twickenham. Twickenham. That's what, that, that was the movie studio. So right. yeah. Um, but and you're right. And then like what you said earlier, them laughing and joking around and really not taking it seriously and Lennon just acting like a goofball and not caring. Right. It's probably why it is so good because they're not nervous and they're not like, oh my God, it has, this is going to be our, our first album that the world's going to hear. We have to, it has to be great. You know? Yeah. I mean, they're like, kind of veterans at the time. Yeah. But make up songs on the spot and, you know, then put it right. out. And, uh, um, but it's very clear during the whole thing that McCartney is the one kind of being the band leader he's the one sort of in charge and he's the one coming up with with all these amazing ideas the long and winding road you see him come up with that uh let it be you know he you watch his creative process with let it be which is is one of the greatest songs of all time and there's there's some drama in it early on with george harrison where where lennon has a song idea and he's trying to explain to harrison how he wants it to be played and harrison's just getting frustrated and he just walks out. He's like, "All right, uh, I'm leaving the band." And he just wa- he just walks out. And then there's there's some yeah. drama associated with that. But then they all kind of make up, and and come back. And it's all yeah. It's it's in about three weeks, like Robin said. It's it's uh it starts January second of nineteen sixty nine, and it goes to the end of January. So it's only like three, like more like four weeks. Um, I'm trying to catch up with these. Uh, well, you said they're here. seasoned veterans at this point. They've played, you know, thousands of gigs. They're, you know, right, but they don't come across as that really because they come across like the same as it would if you got together with a group of guys in the studio. You know, a group of guys that you know and you've played with before, but it's not. There's very little structure to it. It's it's just they're just most most of it is them just jamming, just jamming stuff like coming up with a riff and jamming it. Yeah, or, yeah. or or playing a lot of their playing some of their old music or goofing around with some of their old music like taking a song and playing it super slow or there's <laughs> one where they're playing they're, they're, Lennon and McCartney are both singing like this with their teeth and they sing like this with a whole song Right, had a lot of fun with it, you know. Yeah, but um, you know, but the chemistry, right? We spoke about that all the time. The chemistry, the chemistry, yeah, the chemistry that you really notice is between Lennon and McCartney. The way those two guys communicate and the way they really got along, um, because they they really got along well and they they understood each other very well. They harmonized together. Like you don't see them coming up like struggling to come up with harmony it's like i'll do the harmony for this and they they do it you know <laughs> right um ringo is very quiet in the whole thing he barely talks you know he's just back there on the drums he's, he doesn't fiddle around too much um and when the song is being played he plays you know he and he doesn't get there's no drama with ringo in this whole in this whole movie no, and then the Count Me In documentary when they when Nico McBrain talks about Ringo's influence, you know, on the band, he he does a really good description of, you know, Ringo was a very influential, you know, milestone drummer, right? You know, for you know early on, you know, as was, um, you, you know, uh, he has reference to a bunch of drummers, but he'll he really lays it out like Ringo played kind of this way, and this other guy played kind of that way, you know, and Charlie Watts played this way, and he kind of analyzes how they they did, but. 
people underestimate Ringo's contribution to the Beatles, you know? Yeah. But he yeah. was the energy and the driving force behind all those hits, you know? Yeah. I mean, he didn't he write them, of course, you know, like you said, Lennon and McCartney came up with the stuff, but like we always talk about the rhythm section is what's going to drive the tune. You know, if you have a, a lackadaisical rhythm section, it's just not going to sound good. Right. But they show uh, where Ringo comes up with Octopus's Garden and he's just on the piano and it's mm -hmm. ju just him and George Harrison in the studio right then. And and he's like, he just plays the beginning. I'd like to be under the sea. And, and he shows the chords and, and he's like, that's all I got. And then George Harrison says, well, what if you do this? And he goes on the piano and shows him a different, you know, another right. chord pattern to get back to the one. And it develops, and, yeah. Yeah, and th that's it. They, that's all they show of Octopus's Garden. But that was on... Uh, Abbey Road later, um, but it, it's just cool to see that whole like that. I mean, so obviously we're a cover band thing. We cover, you know, that that's our 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 thing. But everything comes from original material. And Tony and I have both worked in original bands, and and I've been part of the songwriting process too. And it's very much like that. And I did it when I was young. And these guys in the movie, by the way, are twenty eight. You know, that's the end of the Beatles. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they're kids sure. still, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but it's really like that. You're just sitting and you're coming up with ideas and and you keep working until you have something that you're happy with. And it could take weeks. It could take months. You don't know. Um, so it's it is sort of tedious. It is sort of boring, but it's it's the way it works, clearly, because it's the Beatles did that. Yeah, but, but if they had good. go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, if you're an original band, then like you said, it's you, 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 you don't think about it at the time, right? When you're writing the songs, right? And you're recording original music and you're coming up with these ideas and you're putting out your first album or your third album or your fourth album, whatever it is, but original band wise, you know, at the time, the idea is like, you're, you're so young, right? And not naive, but like, you're not influenced by any of the scene yet so to speak you know what i mean like you're like you're 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 green right so you're coming up with these ideas and these songs and it's like you're full of passion that's why you always say like when you listen to some bands it's like the first and second and third albums are always like some of the best material because it's just like raw it's live it's got such energy right. and passion you're just like unrelented passion you know because you don't have that care about anything you don't have any pressure on you for anything and you're like you're just free to create and it's just, you know, it's a, it's a right. wonderful time. And you look back and it's like, I'm glad I got to enjoy that time. And I was present when we were doing it, you know, because you, right. you miss it. And, you know, for 10 years, it's all, you know, my whole 20s, 20 to 30 was all original music. You know, I didn't play covers until after I was 30 years old. From the time right. I started playing drums until, like I said, 30 was all original music. And right. it's just, you know, something to be said for that when you're in a creative element and you're just in the zone, like you said. And you just, you know, we used to do that, like, not in the studio. But when we had rehearsals, I used to have a little tape deck next to me, like a, a little boom box, you know, and I always have a tape in it. And when the guys would come in, as soon as they put their instruments on, I would hit record and we would noodle on something and just start jamming. You know what I mean? Sure. And I had like hours of jam tapes that I would go through to find the diamonds in the rough and say, hey, listen to this part. And, you know, as a drummer, I, I can't compose music right i can't play piano i can't play guitar i can't play a, a, a fretted instrument or something with with notes but mm -hmm. i can go through a jam tape and i can pick out the parts and i can string them all together and create a song and say hey guys check this out this right. is from our jams you know and so many times 
we would always say like when we were done playing, it was going to say, Oh man, I so wish we had recorded that. And right. guess what? I did, you know, and that was it. So it's like, you know, for anyone out there, if you're in a cover band or an original band, you know, some of the moments when you'll be the most creative is when there's no pressure and you're really not thinking about anything. And like you said, you're just jamming or noodling around, you know, so make sure you have a, some kind of tape recorder or some kind of device handy that you can Absolutely. record that because once it's gone, that idea is gone, right? Like you tap into the frequency and you get the inspiration for that and you lay something down or you come up with this great idea or you come up with some kind of, you know, solo idea that you want to do. If right. you don't record it, you will not remember it later more than likely. Right. So, uh, Elias said, Billy Preston saves the day. So Billy Preston comes in at one point and he's, um, just happens to be in London and this is after they moved. So they moved from Twickenham to, uh, Apple studios uh, uh, Seville way in London, which was much smaller and more studio, like more, uh, a, a better, a better environment for acoustics and for hearing and for, for hanging out and everything. Um, so Billy Preston is in London and it just happened to be in London and stops in and they knew him because, uh, from when he had played with Ray Charles, they, they had met the Beatles had met him and they had, well, why don't you sit down and play a little bit? And they have this electric piano there and it, they're just jamming. He's jamming and there, there were a bunch of, they switch instruments around a lot too in the studio. So like if McCartney's playing piano, then Lennon was playing this like Fender guitar, but it was a bass. It, it, it made bass, it had bass notes, but it was a six string. I don't know exactly how that happened. Somebody can explain that to me, but, and then George Harrison's playing guitar and, and but they needed, um, on certain songs, they needed McCartney playing bass and Lennon and Harrison playing guitar and they needed keyboards too. So they're like, you know, you want to sit in on this? You want to uh, be a part of this? And, he's, and he agrees to it. So he shows up every day. And he's another one, just doesn't talk much. He's just sitting there jamming. And they, Len, Lennon's even at one point, he's like, he should be the fifth Beatle. And... Um, but they agree eventually like, no, let's just pay him. But McCartney is basically the, the one in charge. Uh, uh, McCartney, and McCartney's a great drummer too, you know? Yeah. McCartney plays drums in, in, yeah. in the movie too. Lennon sits back in the drums. They all kind of switch around instruments. Just again, sitting in the studio, goofing around. Um, so you don't, you, you see, there's a couple songs where they do a take and then it flashes on the screen. Like this is the take that w is on let it be. So you actually get to see, what you've heard for yeah. decades you know yeah. and, and so it's it, it's just absolutely fascinating to watch and I, I like i said i'm not done with it i haven't i'm just to the point where they're going to do the rooftop concert so i'm I kind of saving it i'm savoring that for because i know it's going to be really good and i can't i'm going to watch it tonight but i've watched basically most of it and i'll go back and watch this again it's just it's just it, it, highly recommended for any musician just just see what this whole creative process is like, what it's really like, yeah. you know, if you've never experienced it, what it really is like. Um, and uh, yeah, like Donna echoed what you said, uh, record everything by any means you have. And now we have means like crazy. We have our phones. We have these crazy computers right here. Which yeah, and too. I used to love to go back and listen to jam tapes and pick out yeah. cool stuff and find even a, a mistake, you know what I mean, that someone made that we could use for something like a a, a, a key change or a chord change, you know? Right. And just, um, yeah, I'm definitely going to, I have to, 
figure out a way to. You have to give me your password. I'll, I'll give Disney, you my password, and, and I will. then I'll, I'll go on and I'll watch it for sure. I will. Because it but, sounds like something very exciting. You know, uh, it's I would, I would, yeah, I wouldn't call it tedious because. No, you, you wouldn't. Know, no, for me, like I said, I've been in that studio environment. You know, where you're in the studio for, you know, God, three, four, five days in a row. You know, and you're yeah. sleeping there, and you're like you're working, and it's like, but you're so inspired, and you're so you know excited to be there. Yeah, it's like time just flies by, you know. Yeah, and we're gonna have to wrap this up. But uh, um, another one of the amazing things was they were there every day. They would show up at ten o'clock a.m. and then leave right. around six or seven, and then the next day they would come in and like Harrison would be like, "Oh well, I was working on this song last night." So they would be in the studio for eight hours, then go home and write music. Still, yeah, crazy. Yeah, but but speaking of technology and things that can help you with your with your music career like uh, technology has come so far and one of the things that's our sponsor today bandhelper.com and uh bandhelper is a cloud-based service uh with companion mobile apps designed to reduce the organizational burden of playing in a band um it serves as a repository for all your repertoire schedule contacts finance info and shares shares it with your bandmates effortlessly um, Band Helper's combination cool. of organ organization and performance features is unmatched, and they offer a pricing option for every band. They have Band Helper's great. I use it too. And um, it, you put your songs, your set lists, your lyrics, chord charts, notes, voice memos, um, videos, upcoming events. Uh, you could do all your expenses, your incomes in this one app, your booking contacts. You could create a stage plot. Um, it's And for lyrics, it's got auto scrolling. And, and uh, you put backing tracks. I mean, there's so much to this. Um, so go to bandhelper.com, start your free trial today, and see what Bandhelper can do for you. That sounds like a very robust app, Steve. It, it is. Sounds like something is. that, like a one-dimensional thing. That's got a lot of, like you said, a lot of options there. Yes, and the link is in the description if you want to click that and check them out. 30-day free trial. Check them out. Um, tell them Cover Band Central sent you. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, so speaking of, I, I alluded to this last week, and I told you off the air about it, but I did get a new gig, and I, I was just using my Band Helper app on my tablet here to to put mm -hmm. the songs together. I got a new gig; it starts tomorrow. Um, at back oh, I hate when you do that; it hurts my ears so much. <laughs> Sorry, man. The crowd, the roar of the crowd, Steve. You can't control the crowd, man. Right. You know, it's just uh, the way of life. Um, it is. So I have a new gig tomorrow uh, back on Bourbon Street, back at Crazy Corner. I'll be doing Wednesday and Thursday nights every week starting at 7.15 p.m. So back to the grind. Excellent. Well, two days a week is not a grind for you. That's true. Yeah. Um, but back to playing and doing what you love. And who's who's in the band? Anybody I know? It's Jason Harvey, my my buddy Jason. Yeah, great uh, drummer, awesome dude. Uh, he, yeah, it's his band. Um, Chris Lopriari is a guitar player. I love Chris, and these are two guys that I've worked with a lot. Um, so I'm very comfortable with those guys. But I was asked to be the one that calls the songs. So I have the whole song list. I put I put them in my Band Helper app. I'm going to have that oh, on my exciting. I'm gonna have that on my uh, my my tablet on stage. So tomorrow night's, your first, tomorrow night's your first gig. Tomorrow night's first night. And, uh, <laughs> tablet on stage for anybody my, that wants to rank tablet. on you about. Everybody that. wants to rank on me. That's what it's for. It's for my yep. song list and for my band helper app. Um, 
and uh, uh, a guy, the singer is somebody I don't, I've never met before, uh, but the band is called Late Night Riot, and you can find... I like that. I like it too, and uh, there's a Facebook page if you want to go check it out, and also latenightriot.com is the website for that. So I'm really psyched to be back. Uh, you know, I didn't want to go back and play on Bourbon Street. I really didn't, but... Yeah, but two day, two nights a week is okay to, you know... Yeah, but the, see, the thing is, the thing is, two nights a week turns into three. Yeah, nights, I know. It turns, turns into, into five nights. nights. I know. And turns into sudden, you want to do weekends. Yeah. Then you're playing Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you're off Monday, right. Tuesday again, and you're back in it. Right. So Such I'm is the life, Steve. I'm going to try to avoid that because I'm trying to focus on CBC, really. But, um, it's but I like one day, one day at a time, bro. One day yeah. at a time. Uh, but I like I like being out uh, during this time of year. It's beautiful in the city during the holidays in New Orleans and uh, get to be out and just be out amongst people because that's well, not know, something I've done much in the last t- couple of years. I felt like you. I played the night before Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and the venue we played, it was really interesting because there was probably 70 people in the bar mm-hmm. and every half hour, 50 people turned over. Right. It was like a core 20 that were camped out that were staying the night, you know, but it was interesting because the way we were set up, it was in this like alcove. And to my right was the door like the It was a big piece of glass, like plate glass with a half wall, but to the ceiling, like all framed in to the entrance door of the club. So from where I'm sitting, I just glance over to my right and everyone that walks in sees me. So the whole night, as people are leaving and coming and going, as soon as they walk in, the first person they see is me. So I'm looking over and people are waving to me and making eye contact and asking me to like spin sticks and stuff. It was really fun, you know, but nice. I thought of you because it was like I, I observed, you know, every like they said, like every 20 to 35 minutes, there was a huge turnover. And it was, right. I guess it's just because that whole strip is a bunch of bars. So people would stop in, you know, have two or three drinks catch the band for maybe a a half an hour and then they'd move on to the next bar. But as quickly as they moved out, a new crowd came in. So the place was packed all night, but it was, you know, say 80% of the people were, were rotating, you know, and there was probably 20% of like a diehard crowd there, but you know, great room. And immediately when we finished the gig, the bar owner was like, I want to book you guys once a month here for all next year. Nice. There you go. That's cool. So it was cool. Yeah. We, we, uh, the the guy who books the bands on Bourbon Street and a lot of the clubs, um, you know, Jason went to him and said, "Hey, I got Chris on guitar and I got Steve, and they're veterans of the street." And the guy was like, "Yeah, cool." So uh, it's kind of an easy fit. Crazy Corner is really the club I've played the most on Bourbon Street. Swamp yeah. is is a close second, but Crazy Corner I've played the most. Uh, yeah, I think Crazy Corner is where you started, right? When you first got there. No, the first club was called the Old Opera House, which and it's not there anymore. Um, Right, but I remember like the first real like steady gig you had with a band was Crazy Corner, wasn't it? Uh, Opera House. Huh. Opera House was the first one. Crazy Corner was second, and then I was kind of bouncing around all places. Uh, I played with at Crazy Corner with several different bands. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm happy to be out. Happy to be out. I haven't really been out much in the last two years, and uh, despite the fact that there's a new variant coming around. Whatever. Yeah. I, I, I'm dual duly vaxxed now. I got my second vax vaccination last Wednesday. Good for you. Yeah. So um which kind of knocked me out a little bit for Thursday, but 
That's okay. I still made a feast. Even though right. I was still feasted up. I still feasted, even though still I still gave sick. thanks and feasted, Steve Witchell. Yes. Um, so I put in the description talking about rehearsals, and we kind of did talk about it a lot. But rehearsals? Uh, talking about like the dynamic of rehearsals, but we kind of talked about it when we were talking about the Beatles thing. But I did want to well, I'd like just, to add something about rehearsals real quick. If you if you go right me. ahead, please do. I think the most important thing about rehearsals is having an agenda beforehand so that you can show up prepared and you're not wasting a lot of time. If your goal is to, you know, get a bunch of new songs down or if you're trying to work on songs that need work, you know, but like if you say, hey, you know, this song needs work on the background vocals and this song needs work on this. And, you know, we have these three other new songs to learn. If you have an agenda laid out, because like, see, with the band I'm with now, OC5, we rehearse twice a month. So we have an agenda at the beginning of the month for for the you know the, the following two weeks, like the next rehearsal. And then at that rehearsal, we make the agenda for the next, next rehearsal for that month. So at least we have two weeks ahead of the rehearsal to be mm -hmm. prepared. So when you show up, everyone's ready to go. You know, I and agree. Then within, then within that rehearsal time frame, you're you get the most efficient use of your time. I agree. Rehearsals are not for learning songs. Definitely not. Learn your songs ahead of time, but you can communicate all this information to all your band members and get it really organized through bandhelper.com bandhelper.com the bandhelper app yeah the link is in the description get your copy today 30 30 day free trial to use that um so free, I, free, what free. i wanted to do was uh uh kind of scroll through the group and just see what people are talking about and kind of riff on that cuz i didn't ask, got there, steve i didn't ask any particular questions this week um I just uh, uh, figured we'd because I really wanted to talk about the Beatles thing. So, um, hey, I think so, it was an important topic to talk about because it's very relevant. It's very, you know, for yes. what we all do. All right. So let's just. I, I I was kind of thumbing through before, and I saw some uh, some interesting topics. So let's see what we got. Uh, I didn't make this big. I should make it bigger, huh? Can you see it good? Big, big, big. Is that better? I, I, that's better, much more gooder. Okay. Uh, 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 Jeremiah said, private gig tomorrow and host asks us to play three songs we've never played before. I tend to think we should learn them all tonight or is one night's notice unreasonable? I would say if it's a private gig, you're probably getting paid well. And if the, the person who asked you to learn those is paying you, then you should learn those. Absolutely. Yeah. Three songs is not much. It's that's not unreasonable now. Show up and be ready to play. Yeah. Learn learn the songs. You, you want to do as much as you can to please the people that are paying for you and paying you and it will lend itself to you getting more. And there's work. definitely some excitement work. to be said to show up at a gig and play a song that you've never played before. Right. So real quick sidebar, I play a Christmas party. Vinny Solano's there. Right. They want to play limelight. Right. Now I'm a guest at the party. My band is playing, but they have a fill in drummer. So the guy's like, yeah, come up and play any, any songs that you want, you know? So limelight by rush is one of them. Never did it before with the band. You know, I know it, but we're going to do it. I have to play it on like a four piece kit, which we'll make do, you know, but long story short, we showed up, we played it. Vinny sang it with Shuli because he knew it. He got up and sang it with us, you know? And right. I got to tell you, 
it was like the best rendition that we ever did. It was like spot on coming out of the solo, you know, bass player was right on cue. Like it was just, it was one of those moments, you know, where it was just like, it just felt right. And there was no pressure and it was just a magical thing. A lot to be said, you know, show up, know the part, but don't be afraid to play the song that you've never played before. Right. That's what it is, man. Go for it. Uh, All right. So let's scroll through some more here. Become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. Uh, I guess I could read this one. This guy says, just curious what, what you guys do for sound checks when playing small clubs and bars. We use a PA for vocals and added punch to the kick drum, but everything else is pushed out through amps and cabs on stage. Currently, we do a quick volume check, but that's it. What do you do for sound check? Yeah, I mean, that's what you can do if you have the time. And it's not, it's not like a restaurant where you're going to disturb people. Uh, you know, do a check with, with, with that kick in the, in the PA and all the full vocals and your amps at the volume you want have somebody out there that's going to be able to hear what it sounds like, whether it's, you know, a friend or a roadie or, you know, or a or band whatever. member that's not playing or on a that band member song, that's not playing know? or a singer that has the wireless or anybody that has a wireless that can go out front of house and hear how it sounds, because that's, that's a, it's a slippery slope when, when you, when you have just, um, just amps because uh, guitar players especially tend to turn up too loud and then then you might be drowning out people on stage where they can't even hear themselves and you might be blowing away people out front but you don't know that unless you go out and go out to the back of the room and what does it sound like in the back of the room you know you need to kind of yeah, but inevit- all situations. inevitably, right, if you sound check the band, play a song that you're not playing in your set, right, a, a random song that maybe everyone sings on, right, so you can get a good vocal check. Someone goes out in the crowd, whether someone in the band's not playing on that song or, or can just step out for a minute just to get a check, you know, mm-hmm. and play, you know, like you said, at least, you know, a verse and chorus of the song, have someone stand out there, then come back and give you the feedback. The problem right. with sound checking is that they'll come back and say, guys, everything is great. The band volume is good. The mix is good. You can hear everybody. Vocals are great. As soon as you start playing the first set, everyone's energy gets amped up. The crowd starts getting in there, and just inevitably, the band gets louder. The guitar player turns up. Everybody <laughs> turns up. You know, Everyone starts playing harder than they were at soundcheck, and then you can't hear the vocals because the music is, like you said, if you're doing an amp situation, yeah. everyone turns up, and no one's addressed the vocals. So you got to just be conscious of the fact that the vocals are always the thing that should be the loudest thing in the mix because yeah. if people can't hear the vocals then you know and, and listen sometimes someone in the crowd will come up and say hey i can't hear the bass player and the vocals need to go up right you know? that will definitely happen that yeah. has and, definitely and you might luck out too and get a sound guy in the audience who'll come up and say hey put a little reverb on that that you can't hear that cut some feet you know cut some db on this guy like we've had that too where it's been helpful to get some professional feedback, you know, or right. semi-professional feedback from someone right. other than a fan. Right. So do as much as you can there, Barry. Um, yeah. If you have the time, try to sound check as much as you can, you know? Right. Like play uh, through a couple of songs and see what the volume sounds like and make sure the vocals are loud enough. It's always a problem. Right. 
You know, and while you're scrolling, you know, the challenge with, you know, that is just that, like you said, as the night progresses, things get louder. And typically the drummer dictates a lot of that volume, you know? So if you're a drummer out there, be conscious of your volume when you're playing, you know, because when you play songs that are more aggressive and upbeat, you really want to lay into it and start playing. But, you know, it's amazing how your ears too, you know, as the, the set progresses, your ears get acclimated, you know, and it starts to have natural compression. So yeah. things don't sound as loud. So you're right. playing, you know, you're like for drum, you're, you're playing, you're laying into it. You're playing something that's a heavy drum song and you're blowing people off the stage, you know, because it's just right. too loud. So it's yeah. something to be conscious of. Just try to lay back and but play with passion and conviction, but control your volume. Right. So here's a picture of from the rooftop concert. And yeah, there you go. And this, this guy holding a, a notepad in front of Lennon <laughs> yeah. because he couldn't remember the lyrics to, for I dig a pony. So that's that's the early version of the music stand iPad on stage right there. And so even the Beatles <laughs> did it. So if it's good enough for the Beatles. It's good enough for anybody. Right. I think uh, I kind of dig that. I want to try to get somebody to hold a pad, notepad. Yeah, right. it's, it's good, good, good job. Uh, and Bill Allen says it, it appears the day of written set list slap notes hey, taped to the floor. Monitors or cymbal stands, in my case, are slowly passing us by for the Wi-Fi tablets attached to our mic stands. What device do you or your band employ out there? What apps work best? Funny you should ask, Bill. Yes. Because the answer is bandhelper.com. Yeah, go check go. out Bandhelper, our sponsor for today. And uh, it really is a great app. And there's a link in the description, Bill. Uh, for me as a drummer, I have a, a paper set list. I put the songs on the set list. I print them big enough so I can see them from a distance. You know what I mean? I just put them down by my mixer and my, you know, on the floor there. Right. Why does some, vo- uh, Michael asks, why does some vocalists assume they are not responsible for personally supplying a vocal PA or any part of it or need to have a clear understanding how one is EQ'd? That's an interesting question. Uh, not not all singers own a PA, and not all singers. I mean, it depends on the situation. I mean, you, oftentimes you're going to play a place that has a PA, but if you're playing places like little bars and stuff that that doesn't that you need to supply a PA, it's not necessarily on the singer to to have. No, but to, the singer should be educated to understand EQ and how certain things will work and affect his vocal. You know, you can't just roll up as a oh, singer yeah. and be like, I'm showing my microphone and a cable and where do I plug in and let me know how it sounds. You know, if you have some knowledge, I mean, believe it, you know, a lot of guys are like that. But if you have some knowledge on how you want your vocal to sound, you know, that you're just that far much further ahead of the game. You know, if you know you want a little bit of chorus and reverb and a little touch of this and EQ and cut some of that, you know, uh, because let's face it, a lot of bands are doing sound themselves. Not all venues have a sound guy. Not all sure. gigs you play are going to have a sound professional sound man that's going to know how to make your band sound good. You know, if one of the guys in the band is in charge of, you know, doing the sound, depending on his knowledge, you'll be limited to how much, um, you know, uh, flexibility you have with the with creating a better sound than just a flat EQ you know, right. and how to eliminate feedback. So, you know, yeah. you need to be educated a little bit on, on how sound works for sure. Yeah. And you definitely should have your own microphone because there's a lot of singers that I've, I've encountered where they don't even have their own microphone. And like, that's like me showing up to a gig and like, anybody got a bass I could use? Yeah. Hey, I brought my sticks. Anyone got the kit set up? 
Ready to go? <laughs> I'd like to see that. All right, we got time for one more looky loo. That's something. Hey now. Hey now. Hey um, now. Uh, cargo socks are available now in a six pair box that go great with your cargo shorts and your cargo have a shirt. stick holder. You put some sticks in there because I'm playing. I need to reach down and pull the stick out real quick. Yes. Uh, Marina reported a post. Uh oh. Let's see what this is. I can show you guys in real time what I do every day. And the post that was reported was this is a person. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no reason to report that post. There you go. Approved. Look at a glimpse into the world of Steve Witchell's day. Oh my God. Of moderating the cover band Central Zoo. I mean, how often that happens every day? I can't. I'm sure like dozens of times. Dozens of times, yes. Um, so I have a bunch of songs to go over before tomorrow night. A few of them I have to learn that I've never played before, and a bunch that I haven't played in a long time. I'm just going to go over. I already started um, doing it, and they come back to me right away. The ones that I've known, but I, I I still like to go over it again and make sure, just make sure, sure I, that I know it. But there's a couple I have to learn um, that are. Um, Interesting. Little Dreamer by Van Halen. I've never played that. Great tune. I've never played it before. Living on the Edge by Aerosmith. Yeah, like I've never played played Little Dreamer either. But if you said to me right now, hey, come sit in on Little Dreamer. Yeah. You could do it just from memory of, you know. You could do it, yeah. But it'd be close. I couldn't because I don't know what key it's in. I don't know any of that. So do, I do, 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 Stevie right. Witchell. Right. Um, Living on the Edge by Aerosmith. A um, couple more I have to learn. Uh, Bunch of tunes. Yeah, I think that's all I have to learn. Everything else is like go over, just brush up on. But I'm looking forward to it. I will uh, report to you next week about how it went. I'm gigging Friday night, so I'll, I'll, we can we can commiserate about our gigs. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and again, please visit our sponsor, BadHelper.com. And if you're interested in becoming a sponsor for the Wisdom Hour, send a an email to Steve at CoverBandCentral.com. Mm-hmm. Let me know about your company, and I will send you the information on how to do that. Also, go to our YouTube channel and hit the subscribe button. Yeah. Hit the bell subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can check out all of the stuff that we have in the archives and you'll know, be informed when we go live. And as always, <laughs> I had to find it. Coverbandcentral.com. Sign up for a profile, free profile for you, your band or both. It is free. It will always be free. And it's a cool thing. All right, guys. Um, thanks for joining us. We always appreciate you watching and being a part of this program. And, um, and uh, do all those things that we said and uh, be safe out there. Have fun and happy holidays. And we will see you next week.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 